No one has shown more contempt for other nations and for the well-being of their own people than the depraved regime in North Korea. Hello and welcome to the third and final episode of My Mate Went on Holiday to North Korea. My name's Dave Smith. In this last episode, we look at all the important things about the potential future for North Korea, talk about Luke's mad dash towards the border and discuss the potential for eventual reunification. But where we left off last time was with him just coming out of looking at the embalmed corpses of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. Understandably, after that he fancied a couple of beers and soon after nature called. That's where we pick up the story. Right, I've got four other things if I can. So the first one is a story about dancing that you told. And, and, it, and, and I think I'm right in saying it was at the same time when, bizarrely, um, you were allowed to walk 500 metres odd through the streets of Pyongyang to go to the toilet by yourself for the first time in a very long time, having drunk too much beer number two. Uh, well, I want to clarify that I wasn't necessarily allowed to do that. Uh-huh. We, we went to a mass dance. Uh, North Koreans are really into this, this mass coordinated dancing. And I got the impression watching this dance and drinking our North Korean number two beer that the, the, essentially they, the students dancing along, they didn't look like they were particularly enjoying it. They looked like they were doing it especially for us and that there were other things they'd probably rather be doing. There weren't many locals watching. This was all for tourists. Um, and, and I felt a bit sorry for them, to be honest, um, just standing there watching them. Anyway... After a, a while, nature calls, as it often does when you're drinking lots of lager. And um, I, I turned to the guide who was with me and I said, I, I assume that the nearest toilet is over in you know, the hotel that, we, that, we'd been, that we'd got the beers from earlier on. And he said, yeah, that he thought it was. And I said, anyway, see you later, and walked off. Now, I, that was not direct permission as such, and certainly... I noticed while I was walking over to this hotel that everybody else going in that direction had a guide with them. The, the few people who were going over there had a guide with them. And so I'd be walking past, uh, mostly through a huge par- car park, but also down the street uh, and in Pyongyang, and there'd be this long line of people at the bus stop, all of whom were looking at me funny. That was a time when I did get a strange look, probably because I wasn't with a guide, and they're not used to seeing people, the locals are not used to people, seeing people on the streets. How far are you walking away from... I walked about 500 metres uh, from, from the area of the dance to the hotel where I, where I visited the toilets. Uh, I met a German guy in the toilet who, who asked me where my guide was because his one was waiting outside. I said I didn't have one. Uh, and then I walked past and just, I mean, you just kept going as if, as if I knew where I was going or just kept going as if uh, this was perfectly allowable. And, uh, and then rejoined the dance and that was it. And... Um, and, and I met some other people from my group who'd be, still been waiting half an hour to get permission to go to the toilet, apparently, <laughs> from, from their guide. So I thought, oh, well, I just did it. <laughs> well, whoops, maybe maybe I shouldn't have done that. You were conscious of what you did. I, I was conscious I was pushing the line a bit, but I also knew that I had an excuse, which is nobody had told me that I needed permission yeah. to go to the toilet. And, 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 and You this rely is... very readily on on the logic of your argument in a way that yeah. I don't think I would. I just think because, you know... You... But that, that's because I think, actually, my impression was right from the beginning, the North Koreans... And, and this, this actually... 
this possibly is is a way that my opinion has changed by going to North Korea. Is we the way we read about North Korea in, in our newspapers, we do get the impression that we're dealing with some kind of totally errant child here that just lashes out at random and has there's no logic or rationality to their actions and behaviour. And actually, I think there is a logic to all of this. Sometimes you can't always figure it out. I think underlying uh, things, there, there is there's a logic to how the, the, to the way that the, the regime behaves and, and they behave in a way as to ensure regime preservation. That's what it's all about. But that filters down as well in the sense that, you know, there are rules and regulations that you should follow. But as a tourist, you're not necessarily expected to know them. And if you're not, you're told beforehand about the importance of respecting the leadership you're told beforehand about you know dressing smartly at this particular occasion or uh, whatever else uh, and then there are certain things that seem to be left left out you know when i was at the at the dmz and i was sending this text message to my mother it was under the nose of a south of a north korean soldier who was blocking off that corner of the balcony my understanding was because he didn't want people to get mobile signal there and yet he wasn't stopping any of us who were still texting away from sending messages he was following the exact letter of the rule which was to not let anybody go into that corner of the balcony you know it was i, I don't think there's there's always a logic maybe i'm doing um i'm, I'm sure i'm i'm doing some people a, dis, uh, a disservice but there's not always the, the 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 logic of understand of themselves understanding the purpose mm. behind the rule necessarily. It's just this is the rule, and therefore follow it. And so I got the impression that if I'd have said, well, actually, I didn't realise I was meant to take a yeah. a guy with me to the toilet, uh, that 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 would have been okay. That would have been all right. I mean, to be frank, I was I'm I'm the kind of I I really value my freedom in the West, and uh, you know I don't like people telling me what to do in this country. And, and after several days of that in North Korea and that, that oppressiveness, I was really just longing for a walk, just to walk down the street by myself more than anything. That, that need was there just as much as my need to empty my bladder, to be frank, although that was pretty strong too. So those combined <laughs> meant I didn't have time to ask anyone's permission. I was off. So tell me then how it felt when you left, finally. What, left the toilet? Or no, 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 well, <laughs> you didn't tell me that if you wish, but when you, left, when you, when you eventually crossed the border back to China... <laughs> I, I, there was there was definitely a sense of relief because you know despite the, the examples I've given you of where I tested authority a bit or, or took a few risks despite all of that I, I, there was always a part of me that thought who knows what's going to catch up with me on the border who knows whether my passport's going to get taken away it's going to get inspected and the message is going to come down from Pyongyang saying aha mm. uh, you know we've caught him out for doing this. And there's always a part of your brain that thinks maybe that would happen. Maybe somebody just to mess with you is leaving it until the last minute just before you leave the country. And so to get through without without any incident, to get through with that basic check of your bag again and your passport's taken away and none of your photos have been deleted. And so that, and then to cross that bridge over to China again and get through crucially get back through Chinese border control as well because if the Chinese don't want to let you in then you're stuck in North Korea aren't you to get through all of that was a massive sense of relief and I don't say that because I regretted being in North Korea or didn't enjoy the experience or get a huge amount out of it but there was definitely a palpable sense of of being back in a place of relative freedom and you got to go you very kindly actually sat next to you as you can see on my um bookshelf which I keep all my favourite things in the world I've now got 
a 51 note from North Korea that you very kindly brought me back, which you weren't supposed to do, I understand. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, this is a bizarre thing. So this is one of those ones where you got the impression you're allowed to break this law. So, I mean, if you look at it, <coughs> so different when you, you kindly sent it to me, this has clearly never been in circulation, has it? I mean, it's a brand new, yeah. it's a brand new note. So they're, they're selling you these, basically, because they know you're taking them away, but say you can't? Or how, how did that... I... Oh, interesting. No, I think I did have some notes which were a little bit more run-down looking than that. But we went to a mall, uh, as, as they called it. We, we'd call it a department store, I suppose, which had been built by the Chinese, apparently. And, and we were told that was the one place where we could deal in... get some local... some North Korean currency. And so we swapped... Chinese yuan for North Korean won at a massively favourable exchange rate and then went around uh, around essentially a small supermarket buying stuff. Uh, but we were told that was the only... We had to spend it all there and we wouldn't be... You know, if we tried to use it anywhere else, we wouldn't be able to and we weren't allowed to take it out of the country either. And I think that is the official rule. You're not meant to do that. Um, but, you know, a rumour went round that... Uh, that we could, uh, you know, that it probably wouldn't be checked and it would be a nice little souvenir to have. Anyway, I, I kept hold of a wad of it. In fact, I, I, I had several wads but stored in different areas of my suitcase, so at least I get out with some of it. Um, I had some in my jacket pocket and some in my uh, next to my passport, and, yeah, I got away with it. They didn't, they didn't look. Yeah. How do you gauge, though, the severity? This is this is kind of my question. So, so that's the kind of thing where you think, um, yeah, you know, rumour goes around, nobody will mind, you take a bit with you, because obviously it's lovely souvenir, I was delighted when I got my one. But then you get stopped to the border and they go, what is this? And you find yourself in a gulag and you think, oh Christ, how did I, you know, how did I misinterpret that? So, I mean, obviously you didn't misinterpret it. I, I, I think before, this is the thing, before going to North Korea, the your impression of what is dangerous to do and what is not, I think is a little bit different from when you're in the country. Certainly from my point of view, I don't know, there were some people in the group who did seem kind of on edge the whole time and were definitely not going to push any of the boundaries. But there were others of us who, you know, were just a bit more lax and recognised that we could get away with certain things. And Like I said, maybe I'm just reckless, I'm not sure, but there were, there were, there were, I just felt like it was that was going to be okay. And as long as I, I hid it well enough and... You know, didn't declare it. And, but don't forget, by that point, I'd already been searched going into the country. So I had some idea about how thorough they might do things. And in fact, the search going out was even less thorough than the one coming in. So, you know, I, and I was fairly confident that that would... And even if they did, I would have just put my hand up and said, well, I had no idea that that was there. Yeah. You know, by all means, you know, take it. I mean, if, if, you, if you read what people have been arrested for in North Korea over the last 10 years, it's, you know, being journalists, it's stealing stuff, you know, political banners or whatever else, and yeah. I didn't get the impression that uh, any of it was to do with you know, So mistake. we were discussing before we started recording that I'd like to go, potentially, I'd be very interested in it. I'm not a journalist doing this. Like, I wouldn't conceive of myself as a journalist. But you could then get that thrown back in your face. Say, well, this one time you did this podcast thing, and it, you know, I, I just feel it's so, it's one of those ones yeah. where you, it's so subjective, isn't it? And it's so, um, but it's interesting that you felt it was, your perception of what was dangerous clearly diminished is the wrong word. But. Yeah, I think I, it changed while it was there. And I, the other thing is, you know, you develop a rapport with the guides, or at least I, I did. I made an effort to get to know them. And you saw them loosening up and having a drink with you and chatting away. And 
they showed a genuine interest in your country. You know, one of the guys was asking me all about politics in, in the UK. You know, so he brought it up. So this idea that somehow you can't talk about politics, you can't talk about democracy with a North Korean, that clearly wasn't true. I was telling him about how uh, Theresa May was the new UK Prime Minister and would replace David Cameron. There was going to be an election in the US and it was going to be Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. He couldn't understand how I didn't know who was going to win the US election. <laughs> he couldn't understand that this was an open question. Um, you know, so I, I'd say to him, yeah, you know, when in January, you know, or, or in December and January ask the American tourist who is the new president and he said well why can't you tell me now <laughs> <laughs> well there's an election yeah. people have to choose for but um, but yeah so you, you know and you, you start you start to realize you know that that you know well the point is that the, the guides are, are ordinary people and they have certain rules that they have to follow but I think they, they, my impression was that the motivation really more than anything was to prevent North Koreans from um, receiving any of our propaganda or being influenced too much by us and for us to get a good impression of the country and to go back home and say how great North Korea was and that everyone should visit. So talk to me about the guys because you, you clearly wanted them as people which I think is quite interesting you got to know them as people rather than just what I think people would imagine going in faceless you know party line towing bureaucratic they, 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 they weren't that to a certain extent. Well, yeah, they, they're definitely not faceless people. I mean, yeah, you, 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 know, you are talking about... They were people who were there to you know, earn some money and, and to do a job. And it must um, be quite a good job, I'd imagine, as well. Right? Yes. I mean, this was, this was my impression, actually, is because is, we, we, we all, you know, you, you give tips, as well, you leave tips afterwards, and... Um, you know, when you work that out in North Korean money, you're talking a lot, a very generous amount of money compared to what I was led to believe the average North Korean earns. So the guides can't be doing that badly. I mean, for all I know, they have to take this back and share it with the, with back, they give it all back to the government or something. I'm not sure, yeah. but <clears throat> you know. And as far as put it this way, the other thing was as far as North Korean jobs go, I think it's a nice little number simply because. It you know anything could be it's got to be better than the backbreaking work we saw people doing in the countryside, mm. or the the military personnel who were building uh, all over the place mm. you know without heart safety harnesses and that kind of thing, and um, you know or some of the the other all the other boring jobs that that, that, that you see people do you know that machines do in our country, mm. so I don't think you know I th whereas the tour guides they get to take you around they get to interact with a whole load of, of people from different parts of the world and while. I don't think they get many days off. I think they have to work very hard for it. I think compared to the standard, the, the standard of work that uh, the quality of work of that other people have to do in North Korea, I don't think it, it's that bad. No. Now, yes, we did. You know, I I certainly did warm to the guides and got on with them, and I played table tennis with them, pool with them, and you know, drank North Korean beer with them, and had lots of conversations with them. Um, that said, you know, it's important to remember these are. You know they are an elite in North Korean society, and more than anybody else, they are going to have access to uh, the ideas and the media, and uh, have a much better idea of what's going on in the outside world. Um, and yet they are, you know, and they're still going along with all of this. Um, I'm not going to say oh they could do any other job, but they they are they are you know they they are. 
they are still doing the guide role and fulfilling their, their, their duties there and sometimes having to tell you, let's face it, outright lies. And I think they must know sometimes that mm. these are outright lies. But in my mind, I thought, and again, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm totally ignorant about this, but I think you have a choice as a guide. Just like, just like people throughout history have had a choice when, conform, when dealing with totalitarian regimes. There's a difference between tacitly going along with something under threat and being a huge champion of uh, mm. that mm. threat yeah. and that oppressive regime. And I do it all the time at work. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. And, and, and I saw both types of personality among the guides. You know, there, there, were, yeah. there were those who were there who were con- conforming to the rules and clearly doing their job and, and doing a very good job. You know, if I was a North Korean government, I'd definitely employ them. Uh-huh. Um, and then there were others who would go the extra mile and would want to tell you how there were no jails in their country and how you know, yeah. the country was very rich and uh, you know, things were a lot better than in the evil West. Mm. And is that, did that correlate to a degree of seniority, do you think? Or, or do, you, do you just get different people who believe in things to a different extent? I don't, I don't know. I think... Uh, maybe maybe some of them maybe some of them hope to progress within the workers' party or something else. I honestly couldn't I couldn't say, honestly couldn't say. I suppose my my point is that there's e- even within an oppressive system like that, a totalitarian system like that, you have a choice about. There is a there seem to be a certain amount of flexibility, uh, in in how much you conform, how much you go along with it, mm-hmm. and actually, I was thinking as with so many things. In North Korea, you make the analogy with Nazi Germany, you know, uh, in the sense that, you know, at the Nuremberg trials and everything, and when people were trying to depict the Holocaust and figure out how this had happened, there were, you know, there, was, there were plenty of people who said, well, I was just following orders. I had to do this or, you know, I would have been killed if I didn't, you know, if I didn't kill all of these Jews or take part in, in, in the horrific crimes that took place. Um, but then there were others who were able to say, well, actually, no, you know, it's well known that if you had objections to this or if you didn't, you couldn't stomach it or didn't feel able to do it, you could be transferred to some back office job or to something away from, from mm. that or, you know, to some, some, you know, doing doing some kind of different role within the camp or outside of the camp. Um, and then, and, and which meant that a lot of the people who were doing the, the, the final stuff, putting the gas pellets in or, mm. you know, um, mm keeping the prisoners in check a lot of these people were just sadistic and were just doing it for uh for the worst kind of reasons you know and, and, and were true believers if you like now you know that's that's an extreme example but actually i think the level of thought control in north korea which is sustained by the whole system including the actions of the guys i think it's a horrific crime against humanity and you know you're, you're either conform you're either a full-blooded supporter of that that's perpetuating it or you're trying to take as much of a backseat as possible, not cause trouble for you and your family, but equally not going out of your way to, to ensure its survival as well. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. I mean, you, as you know, I'm sort of kind of left of centre politics, but I don't readily subscribe to too many ideas about, you know, liberty being a fundamental principle as opposed to kind of collectivism. But what it seems to me is, Regimes like that, when they're so state-oriented and so about collectivism, they very quickly and very ably just delegitimize individuals, don't they? And, yeah. and, and people stop looking. You read some of the stories about North Korean guards in camps, you know, Shingon Park and people who escaped from Camp 14 and places like that. Will, they will say, 
that they had no problem with it, with the statistic torture, because they did not view them as human beings or individuals. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's tragic. I want to ask you about your tea towels. Okay. Um, <laughs> because one of the stories that I liked that you told was how uh, you, you, you took someone up and left them there, effectively. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, tell, tell that story, because I just think this is brilliant. Well, I had... I'm, we previously mentioned uh, my company RadicalTeaTowel.com and we make kind of politically themed tea towels and political gifts in general and I'd just come back from a conference in the US because we, we, we'd like to you know make more um, designs based on American political figures and sell more of these things in America and, and so I had a bunch of these tea towels in my case and so it came time to leave and I thought, well, I'll, you know, we, 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 people were giving gifts as a thank you to the guides who'd shown us around. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll give them some of my tea towels. You know, it was gifts from your home country, that kind of thing, that, 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 that you could, stuff you couldn't get in North them. Korea. So other people were giving them, you know, shortbread or, yeah. um, uh, you know, um, what, what would be other examples? Yeah, the, 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 your kind of traditional cuisine, cuisines, whatever, yeah. yeah, whiskey, oh, cigarettes and things yeah. like that as well, because apparently Chinese cigarettes are much nicer than, than North Korean ones, supposedly. Uh, so, yes, it was a, a real mix of stuff, cosmetics, that kind of thing. And I left some tea towels. I left them Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks and Maya Angelou, all of, <laughs> all of which happened to be in my case. And did they know, did they conceive of what these were at all? Or did I, did, I didn't get to see the reaction because uh, we, we pulled all the gifts. I see. And then, and then, uh, and, and then again, so them. there is a, presumably, uh, chicken noodle soup being served up some flat in Pyongyang <laughs> on the, <laughs> what on I like to, what I like to think is that in somebody's kitchen, in some awful Soviet era high rise in Pyongyang, there was a, a Martin Luther King tea towel with a, with an inspirational quotation. We we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. That that is hanging in somebody's kitchen somewhere, and that somebody is asking, "Who's that man? Or what's that about?" That that, that I would love that. For all I know, they've been burnt and <laughs> had to be thrown away because of being western propaganda or something i don't know so who, who who knows well in every kitchen also of course is a picture of kim jong-il and kim jong-un yes uh, yes and Long who knows side. hopefully that detail will last a bit longer is reunification ever going to happen do you think <laughs> <laughs> wow that's was a grand question yeah. not for me i i hope so i hope so but it's it's re it's really problematic you see i think the uh the separation of the countries explains so much about North Korea and how it is the way it is and why the regime survived, actually. Mm. I read an argument before going, and I think this is true, which said that one of the reasons that the regime survives, unlike those in Eastern Europe and Russia and all the other places which have had dictatorships which have eventually collapsed, is in other countries, the elites at the top of the communist regime or, or, or fascist dictatorship or whatever, the elites concluded at some point that they would be just as well off or even better off under a more democratic system or capitalist system and so they allowed change to happen recognizing that they would still have a privileged place in society within that country mm. or would still be you know still maintain their their, their their worth their value within under a new regime 
That's not the case in North Korea because the, the fall of the regime there, which regime change in North Korea, means inevitably reunification with South Korea. The countries want to be a part of each other, and, and that's what would end up happening. And that poses a, a huge problem for a, the elite of North Korean society because South Korea is an extremely well developed country with its own pre-existing elite, its own heads of civil service, its own business people who will rapidly expand into North Korea and a, you know, a, a highly educated population. The, you know, the majority of South Korea's population, in my understanding, is certain among the younger generations have been to university more than in a lot of other countries on Earth. And so what jobs are unqualified, uned, relatively uneducated North Koreans going to be doing in that new economy? They're going to be bottom of the pile. So if you are, for example, a government guide or a member of you know of a wealthy family in Pyongyang or someone who has a connection to the leadership, mm. you do not want change. You do not want unification in your heart of hearts. Um, you want to keep... Uh, the, situ the, the system as it is because you are relatively well off in that situation you've got enough food to feed yourself and, and yeah. you are you're, you're, you're you know top of the pack as it were and revolution in your model there assumes that 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 class of people whatever you call them the middle class almost are essential to it going ahead you know you're not gonna you're not gonna have a peasant-led revolt say you're gonna have people who are in the in the middle levels of government have got to i, th I think that's crucial it. yeah i mean you know if you look at most i think if you look at most revolutions and rebellions that have taken place in history you know, there have been alliances not just among working people but among people on the inside of these regimes as well and people higher up in the middle mm. classes um it's it's not just people the people who are worse off Ironically enough, and that's no surprise because you know your your average North Korean farmer he doesn't have access to you know you could, people in the countryside and people throughout the whole country were clearly you know getting a decent meal on the table was a priority you you knew that because people were very thin and I didn't see a single even slightly over, overweight person in really? my entire week in North Korea hmm. the entire time you know obesity is totally unknown there and. You know, so uh, you know, you first of all, people have got to have the energy. They've got to have access to weapons. They've got to organize. They've got to meet behind the scenes and everything. And uh, and my understanding is that the level there's of oppression. There's no technology like there is, with, say, the, what we saw in the no, um, no, there the Arab Spring and things like that. There's they no... they don't have Twitter to share ideas for this kind of thing. The internet to to read about different techniques. There's very few visitors from outside and mm. uh, and, and and information coming in, although that that's increasing, I think. I think therein lies the problem, doesn't it? Because, because the the survival of the regime, I think, is so dependent on its isolationism, and it's just becoming an anachronism. Like yeah. you know, with with like you were making the point in the beginning about USB sticks and things, and and folk have that, and, and DVDs and all those kind of things coming. You can't stand in the way of that forever, can you? It's hard to say. You see, because people have, you know, called the death of the. North Korean regime for a long time, and it's not happened. You know, it seems to it keeps on surviving, and despite this awful famine in the nineties, you know that was the perfect moment for you know as as Marx said, you know that that eventually people the workers will rise up because they can't feed themselves, right? And you'd have thought, you know, when it gets to the point that you're either you're faced with death by starvation or death by doing something. Uh, against the regime or standing up, you might as well choose the latter. And yet mm. people don't. People didn't. 
uh, that that things survived. You know, things went on as they always did, and we kind of. <clears throat> it's very easy when you're used to the level of freedom that you have in the West today, or even the relative freedom that people had in Eastern Europe in in the under communism. It's easy to say, well, why can't you know, don't people do this, or you know, why why shouldn't they? Uh, rebel against the regime how do they allow this to happen to themselves why do they tolerate it but when you're actually in it i think that the the fear was was palpable mm. i think because I, th- I, th- I think i'm not entirely sure about this but the communism in eastern europe for example though whilst there was great degrees of propaganda telling them you know that, you know like north korea nothing to envy it wasn't as isolationist was it in the yeah. same way it wasn't you know there were cultural exchanges with the yeah. west yeah. Uh, Western tourists would come over. People would be able to post books in. My father posted a um, a, a, a book. I think he he even posted Animal Farm or something to some people in Poland who'd asked for it specifically, and he had it hidden in a in a copy of the Bible. I think it was he he cut yeah. open a Bible and and posted that over. Um, but it's hard to them, th- you know, in North Korea they're checking any any mail that comes into the country is hugely <laughs> suspect, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyone who anyone who comes into the country is suspect. And I th- I can't remember what the stats are exactly, but it's some. Th- I'm not far off in saying when East Germany and West Germany came together, that the difference in GDP or whatever it was was about one to four or something east to west. Yeah. Whereas South <coughs> Korea to North Korea, we're talking one to twenty five, one to. 30. I think it. Yeah, it's a lot you more know, extreme. It's, it's yeah, it's and which is why a lot of people in the south are not too happy yeah. about reunification either i think that they it's a romantic ideal but in practical terms they recognize that they're gonna have to you know that, that they it, it could cause a huge recession depression in the country because you know the, the the challenge of bringing up this extremely poor nation to south korean standards of living is going to be huge mm. um, and it's you know you're talking about mass uh, immigra- uh, mass migration across the border across yeah. the country as well it's a huge, not to mention, actually, I think the biggest challenge with reunification is going to be the psychological element of it. Uh-huh. You know, from people who have escaped from North Korea, a lot of them have found it very hard adjusting in South Korea. This is what I've, I've heard anyway, despite the, psych, the, the support uh, and training and educational programs and even financial help that the South Korean government gives to North Korean defectors. A lot of people have really struggled with it. And... And that you know, doing that for twenty-two million people mm. coming from North Korea, you know, tell, trying to re-educate people in their fifties who've been told their entire life that their leadership are semi-gods, essentially. Yeah. And I and, and I think you're right to say that it is a romantic idea rather than. So I remember going on a school exchange to Germany. This must have been I was about twelve or thirteen, I guess. So what we're we talking ninety-seven, mm. roughly. Mm. Um, and so what is that? That's five years after at least the wall has come down, longer, six, seven, eight years. Uh, and not the same by any matter of means. And this family I stayed with hated the East Germans. <laughs> like, they really did. They said, oh, they're lazy, they're drain on our economy, all these kind of things, even then. Yeah. And yeah, I can. it's not going to be simple. I wonder sometimes if the solution is managed, if what would happen is rather than it come to some sort of cataclysmic fall of the regime, that if it looked like it was heading that way, China would step in and almost almost manage a transit. Do you know what I mean? Would, would say, and it would be done in the language of the Communist Party of China is going in to assist the Communist Party of North Korea in a comradely fashion to help it transform its economy and, and the Kim family is... Well, what does China know, get out of that? 
Well, I think what China gets out of it, I mean, this is the major problem, isn't it? It's the US presence there. I think were South Korea not so heavily um, involved with the US militarily, you could see reunification potentially happening far quicker. Mm. But because there's that added dimension of it being a effectively a US missile outpost right mm. next to the Chinese mm. border, the whole thing becomes hugely... Yes. I, can't, um, I cannot see how... I can see just about, I think, how Korean unification could happen. I cannot see how Korean unification with Chinese-American interests yes. can, can, can happen. And, and, this, and that, that's how it all started in the first place, of course, and, and that's the problem today, is that you know, for, for real change to happen, you do need the entire international community kind of speaking in unison about it, and that includes China. Uh, that said, I think you know China has been very critical of the North Koreans. They're, they're very worried about all these nuclear tests that are taking place, yeah. and yet you know, the priority for North Korea is not keeping China happy. More than anything, it's it's just you know regime survival uh, in the immediate term. You've been incredibly tolerant. I've got one more question I'm going to ask you. I go, get on with your life. No, Don't worry please. about it anymore. Um, That's fine. And that is, so let me, be, let me be awful and just play devil's advocate here. Okay. How do you justify a trick like this? Haven't you just written a check for a £1,000 to Kim Jong-un? And that's a fair question to ask. I think that that's a question that, that's a point that a lot of people have made uh, and in the past, and it's certainly a question that I was asked uh, by certain people. I mean, look, first of all, um, the idea that all of your money, the £1,000 plus or whatever you spend on this trip, goes straight into the pockets of North Korea's nuclear weapons program, always being used to fund torture equipment for people up in, in labour camps in the North, just can't be true from a practical point of view. There were a huge amount of costs associated in putting the trip on in the first place. I mean, you're followed, you, you, you've got you know, the permanent labour of... The Western guides following you around, the North Koreans following you around, all your meals, all your hotel uh, costs, um, and your travel costs. Just on a practical basis, all of that needs covering um, in some way. I, I am sure that a certain proportion of my uh, the amount I've spent on that trip uh, ends up in government coffers, and I would trust the North Korean government to spend it a lot less than a lot of other places in the uh, in the world. Um, you know, that said, you, I'm also mindful that a certain amount of my taxes in the UK goes to causes that I, I disagree with, um, even if I don't have a problem with the with, with the regime as such. Mm. Um, not that I, I'm not trying to draw a, a, a complete equivalence between those things, but I think it's it's a point kind of you know worth bearing in mind that it's not a question of it, it it's a bit more it's not it's certainly not you've just handed one thousand you know a thousand pounds to. Um, completely evil people versus your money never goes to nefarious purposes when you're back here yeah. in, in, in the UK. But more importantly than that, I think, you know, we, we, we have a choice as tourists because some people would say, you know, it's just as bad just going there as a tourist, you know, it's, it's insulting to the North Koreans somehow. And what I would say is we've got a choice. Either we block off North Korea entirely and we turn down their invitations for us as um, citizens of the world to go in there and visit um, and, 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 and interact with North Koreans, whether that's the guides, whether that's uh, people on the street and, uh, you know, or people working in the hotels or wherever else, or taxi drivers or whoever else we might meet out there. Either we turn that down and nobody from outside goes into North Korea at all 
and no North Korean ever gets to see an outsider. They don't get to see us turning up in our nice clothes and looking well fed and with our cameras and our mobile phones and looking like we're enjoying ourselves in our, in our lives. Either they don't see any of that at all and all they have is the interaction they get from the North Korean government. Or we go in and call it pathetic, call it far too subtle to be appreciated, whatever you want. But there's a certain amount of non-verbal communication going on there from the outside world uh, to the North Korean people. And I think that I'm not saying that that's going to cause a revolution tomorrow, um, but does regime, you know, if, if, if your goal is regime change or if your concern is human rights, um, is there more likely to be change uh, uh, slow? You know, will change happen quicker or slower because of people going into the country or not? You know, at best it's going to be neutral. I don't think we're prolonging the survival of the regime by going there. And the other point is, I think that, you know, the more people from the West that do visit there and the more that we have this kind of discussion and start talking about it, the more that North Korea is on people's map. You know, for me, before reading about this stuff and before visiting, I was vaguely aware that North Korea probably didn't treat its people that well. Uh, but I've come back now and I think there's a... There's, 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 it, it's horrific what's happening out there, actually. The mind control, the brain control of the people out there. And that, that itself is one of the biggest crimes, I think, just as much as any of the... Uh, the, the physical violence uh, that we might have read about. And so that's something I think we need to talk about, we need to shout about, not run away from, not, not close off entirely. Our college, when we were at university, to its eternal shame, I thought, when we were there, had an offer of taking in two, I think, three maybe, North Korean students. Some guy, I can't remember the precise details of it, had, was sponsoring them and he also had some businesses over there and it was all linked in and, and it was voted down in a college council, I'm going to check this so I don't get done for libel before this goes out, but I think it was voted down at a college council thing and they chose not to do it. Right. And it's a real shame for me that uh, supposedly one of the bastions of learning and liberal education in this country took the total opposite view to what you were just yeah, advocating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, if we don't take these people in, if we don't, you know, if people aren't able to uh, have this communication uh, with the West, then you don't start to change people's minds. You know, what happened to those kids maybe they were able to find university places somewhere else in the world i don't know uh, or maybe they had to get their educations in north korea but i can't imagine a lot worse than that final point to end on you said in your emails that you got back to china and one of the saddest things was you suddenly saw and realized that you hadn't seen for a long time people just in their day-to-day -day lives smiling again yes that really upset me really. yeah but when i was in north korea i had to pinched myself a bit and I thought to myself am I just distorting things am I having a rose am I remembering things back in London with rose tinted spectacles or, or in China because you know let's face it you travel on the London underground and people look pretty miserable don't they you walk down the street and people can look quite annoyed but actually if you look carefully into office windows or in shops or people just talking on their mobile phones you see people smiling you see people laughing you see people talking animatedly they're even getting angry uh, they're they're just they're reacting to the world around them and engaging with with people and the world around them. Whereas everywhere we went in North Korea, you know, you, you barely n notice conversation. You, I did notice a few when we went out to see a steel factory, which was somewhere outside the capital and a bit more remote. I saw some children cycling past with you know looking you know quite excited and and quite you know and giggling to themselves. But as a rule, I didn't see people you know smiling and 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 
certainly you know not hard, that's the thing hardly interacting with each other it was this really strange situation quiet, where it, really, but yeah. it was it was quite it was like zombies i mean that sounds horrible but it really was that's what it felt like anyway the only exception to that was when i would wave at people from outside the, the from the coach as we drove past i would i would spend a long time just raising my hand to people and just waving and and you you know a lot of people would just ignore you entirely Why but occasionally well, I just felt like for me it was a it was interesting to see people's reactions and to and to break the monotony of it, you know. And I kind of felt like it might be a, it was a notable enough event for me when somebody waved back, you know. And you kind of you you felt the you felt the common humanity between you. I don't know. I think people on the bus probably thought I was stupid. Probably most of the North Koreans thought I was stupid. But actually, that was the the times when I saw true smiles. You know, as people would suddenly stop their work at the side of the road and then wave enthusiastically or. I remember we went past a bus in Pyongyang, a crowded trolley bus. And, you know, I saw the people looking out the window at our bus uh, full of, of white tourists. And, and I waved at the bus and nobody waved back. Apart, but there were two things that happened. One guy sitting next to his girlfriend tried to lift his girlfriend's hand up to wave, I think almost as a joke. And then there was one man in the middle of the bus he wasn't waving himself, but he was lifting, lifting his daughter's hand, his, his, you know, his baby daughter in his arms. And he was lifting her hand and getting her to wave it. I've read a huge amount about different ideas about how they're going to do something to bring about regime change and reunification. Oh, yeah. And I think waving at children is the best idea I've heard yet, Luke, yes. seriously. So, <laughs> it was thank you so much. Thank you for all, of defiance. all of your time. I no, hugely, thank you, hugely Dave. appreciate it. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I must say you two My Mate Went on Holiday to North Korea was written and produced by Dave Smith. It's an E14 production.